Welcome to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. We need your help with this mission, so share, share like the sugar bear, because sharing is caring. And we are rolling live with Jack Reagans, a former Navy SEAL commander. How is it going, brother? Yeah, it's going good. Um, you know, all things considered, good personally. Uh, a little bit watching the world burn, but uh, <laughs> try not to try not to get too much into that. You know, just focus on uh, the things that are important to me and uh, recovery and vets and my own recovery. You know, and then just as I've said since I left service in 2018, you know, trying to help the world change for the better one person at a time. And that is what we can do. My wife keeps bringing me back to center by saying, what can we control? Focus on what we can control. If you can't control it, prepare for it, (laughs) but as best as you can. But if you can't control it, um, try not to sweat it. Easier said than done, but it's been working for me. How have you been getting through? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I come back to that a lot, whether it's an external force like my wife or a friend or just sometimes I tend to get in my own miserable lot of thinking and just kind of have a come to Jesus with myself. I just had a, I think two days ago, I just said, you know what, if you don't have any ability to have an impact on it, then just enjoy being. And when, you know, things will come to you and you, then you deal with them. But uh, trying not to essentially assert and own the situation, which I think, you know, coming from any military background, it doesn't matter what your job was. You're familiar with kind of those things of uh, inserting yourself in a process to make change. Um, And so sometimes it's hard to step away from that because more than likely, you know, for me, you know, I had 20 years of success generally as that a, as a guiding principle as a leader in SEAL team. You know, problem, insert yourself. You know, target, insert yourself. Um, but, you know, there there is what I call second and third order effects to that always. And, um, you know, I think it's prudent to watch out for those. And, you know, and I appreciate you having me on and, and what your mission is and helping military and first responders because it's a mission I share down here in the United States, which is to – kind of normalize the conversation and realize that people that serve and people that are in the front lines of any kind of traumatic experience, right? Gunshots on the street or dead bodies or bleeders. Uh, that's not normal stuff we're intended to see and deal with, but we do. And some of us run right towards it. So I, you know, my 20 years has taught me to try to take my lessons and those of the people around me and, and help that community for as long as I'm on this earth, continue to do what they do and do it well, but also to um, mitigate, you know, the blowback that comes with that type of work. It's one of the things um, I once got myself involved in a problem uh, where we're at a McDonald's restaurant. And uh, of course, us being us, uh, we see things that other people aren't seeing. And I lean over to my wife and, and I said, remember that thing that we rehearsed? And she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> what do you see? I said, just go stand over there with my kids. Uh, all right. And then I got into it with somebody um, who, who was uh, sexually harassing a, a young lady. But everybody else, 
uh, most people didn't see it. The majority didn't had no idea that it was happening. Um, but uh, the people that did see it were doing nothing about it. And that is just not how we're wired. If we see a problem, we insert ourselves. And um, yeah. if you if you have a problem, kill it. And they didn't kill it in this time. I just addressed it. But uh, yeah. it cost me a tooth and a black eye, but uh, we got her done. And um, yeah. But the, the, how rare do you think that is? Um, uh, there's, I mean, even amongst our own community, even amongst the, um, uh, the, uh, the like infantry operators, you know, even among that community, um, what do you think the percentages of people that would step in in those situations? Well, that's a great question. You know, no one's ever asked me that question, at least on the outside, so to speak, believe it or not in SEAL team within the leadership cadre, senior enlisted and officers, we would have a lot of uh, what we called thought experiments on things like that. And then we would, we would walk through cases that had happened, uh, whether it be in training combat or just, you know, hanging out at the bar. (laughs) And so we, we tried to educate, you know, I guess when to, you know, not only insert yourself because of some of that stuff going on is wrong. And then if you don't, it just perpetuates, and can lead to, you know, national level embarrassments. Um, It can lead to people's jobs being gone. But, you know, kind of on the spectrum of what I call, you know, the legal part of it, but also then the morality and then the ethics, right? Because that's what's interesting is people are different when it comes to the morality and ethics. Even people that are trained under, um, like us and the UCMJ down here, and I'm sure you have your own set, Still, we all look at that knowing that it's kind of the law and it's kind of the guideline, but then there becomes that ethical, moral, do do we do something or don't we, or don't do I? And surprisingly, you know, if you'd asked me this at the tail end of my career when I was still on active duty, I would have probably told you a higher than average number of, uh, you know, try to take over that situation for the good. But as time has gone on and more things have come out, and I'm specifically down here, whether people are following or not, I'm thinking right now of this Eddie Gallagher saga, which happened in SEAL Team kind of 2017, 18, and he was tried for war crimes, and then the president stepped in, and I mean, it just became a big fucking mess. I don't know uh, if we're swearing. Oh, oh, oh yeah, we, we sure fucking are. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, and now, of course, in classic American fashion, you know, Apple Plus has a four or five part series and everybody and their brother who knows me is asking me if I've watched it. And, and I, I feel some responsibility to at least watch it, even though I don't want to, so that I can answer people that have not necessarily been around. Anyway, my point is not just because I've watched that, but because obviously I've, it was a topic of the day. And what I would say was a great failure in our unit um, to adhere to these type things you're talking about. And that's not saying Eddie's innocent or guilty. It's just saying the dilemma. Um, but I'm, I'm more to say that even in the units where we see it, there's a dwindling lack of backbone um, for that. And when it comes to the civilian population, no offense, you can fucking forget it. Yeah. Um, and we see example, example, just, uh, was it two weeks ago? A woman got raped on a subway and yeah. everybody's response was to pull out their phone and, and film yeah. it. That is beyond yeah, my, so I have a, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. 
Yeah, so that that that's a hot button issue for me. It's so funny. You never know where these podcasts are going to go. But I talk to my kids all the time. I've I have high schoolers. I actually have one just moving on to the Air Force down here, and that's cool. In two weeks, so then I have two high schoolers behind him, and I have a seventh grader. And I talk about it all the time. Like I don't understand a fight or an evil act occurring, and people just pull out their phones, and nobody does anything. Um, when you and I know that oftentimes it, it doesn't even end in altercation. It's just getting over the fear to say something. And more than likely that just ends it. It gets people kind of back in check. Now, of course there are times where it goes higher than that. Um, but it's, and, that's and we know which, and we know which is which like the McDonald's incident yeah. that we, that I was uh, talking about. I knew yeah. immediately, you know, yeah. uh, threat assessment. If I open my mouth, he's going to go like, he's going to yeah. go. He's a, he's a goer for sure. Yeah. And it was, you know, um, yeah. you know that I know that we're tuned for it. We can tell. Yeah. Um, but most people don't, don't even go that far. They're like, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. And I debate like this, this point and with everything going on in the world, I, I debate cause you're right. Like it just, it's tuned with this. I, and I would also say sometimes it's too tuned. Like I've had to work on, um, not being hypervigilant. <laughs> it's not easy. And, uh, because it became unhealthy for me very badly. So I do enjoy the fact that for the most part, I don't walk into places and scan the rooms, look at exits. I don't look at hands and threats, but I did do that for 20 years. Um, and I'm always capable of it. And so you're absolutely right. Like anybody trained in the arts of combat arms and anything, and, and God forbid, it seems like if you have then real world experience in that, you're just tuned even sharper, yeah. right? Because it makes sense. Your life was on the line. And so was that of your teammates, not to mention the people that you're trying to help wherever you were deployed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, but I debate whether it's an excuse for regular people without that background of military first responders, whatever, to not see it. I think a lot of people see it, um, but they're just kind of at the 50%, like, should I, shouldn't I, but they're not even, they're there at 49%. They kind of witness it. And then there's, yes, there's a lot of people that just, well, there's a myth. There's a myth within the uh, civilian world that we have that like we're like super ninjas. Like we have this yeah. extremely high level of unarmed combat <laughs> ability. Yeah. And uh, of course the movies uh, uh, play on that. It's like, no, we don't. We know some yeah. basic shit. And what we, what, what our superpower is, is the ability to tap into extreme aggression and focus it. Yeah. And, uh, and then it well, just, uh, that's, we're not super ninjas. You know, no, uh, it's, it, it, I would actually say in the superhero hero ability is that right on in mass. Um, I, although that may not be the best tactic to solve the situation, but that's that that works as we know to a degree in most. But it's to recognize it and to make that decision. Yeah, that to the decision to act or not act. Of course, depending on our level of training and what stage of our careers in. Uh, becomes intuitive. Well, um, our, it's not even, uh, Jack. It's we can't help it because right. fight, flight, freeze is the amygdala response. Yep. Fight, flight, or yep. freeze. Well, uh, flight doesn't work. We can't do yeah. our job. Freeze sure as hell doesn't work. Can't do our job. And the ones that can't go to fight every time don't make right. it through training. They don't make it yeah, through buds. They don't make it through battle school. You know. Yeah. And if even if they do, they get fleshed out the first time shit hits the fan. He's like, yeah. well, and they're out, right? Yeah. If you, if you yeah, run. Your accountability ensures that everybody, by the time you step off, 
goes to that and knows how to operate within that and effectively. And so, yeah, to, seeing that, then bringing that kind of as your default button, you do. And and I think that's also what leads to a lot of mental health struggles for veterans in back in civilian life. Yes, sir. But, but it also leads to a lot of other things that, you know, unless you were kind of built in that way, people will never understand and see. And I, I always try to explain it of kind of the depression of a fireman, you know, training their whole life for fire. And then they just sit at the house. Depression is going to set in anxiety performance. You're just going to go nuts because that's what you're built for. And you know it to be helpful. And to some level, I don't think any of us can escape that, um, you know, go do it. The the problem is that I see is it used to be for a long time, you know, this word, and I've, I've debated it with some feminists and I think they're wrong on this, um, and I'll give you the case in point: is chivalry. Mm. Now that isn't a man that, that isn't a man thing. That term may have come from knights and men over the years. It may not have, but at least down here in America, it was associated with men. I would say that anybody can be that. You know, it, it's a choice. Uh, but I remember, <laughs> I remember holding the door for a woman about ten years into my career. I was back home on leave, going into a grocery store. And I mean, she stopped and she ushered me and, and I said, no, no, ma'am, like go first. You know, I got it. Uh, this old lady dressed me down <laughs> and I was like, uh, and first of all, she starts in on me about her age because I said, ma'am. And I go, well, first of all, I'm a military officer. So I pretty much approach everybody by sir and ma'am until I get to know them. Or you're from Texas. Yeah, or I'm from Texas, right? But I'm not. So, uh, and I was raised that way too. Uh, so anyway, she kind of gave me the stink eye. She went through the door and then, you know, she went through, I went through and I said something like, have a nice day. There's no drama here yet. Uh, and then she goes and d- d- decides to berate me that I'm looking down upon her by holding the door uh, as if she's not a capable woman. And so I listened and I said, or I'm just a nice fucking guy. Or, yeah. I mean, like, you can take it whichever way you want, uh, but that wasn't my intent, right? And and whether it's honor or whatever, I remember and always talk about that case in a chivalry kind of way because I often say that it seems like that is either being bred out or it isn't something we want. And that's sad to me because you do want that, and it can be performed by kids. It can be performed by Men, women, it's, and it, at least to me, is a word that I see in people who can exhibit the traits that you're talking about. And unfortunately, there seem to be only military and first responder type people that kind of have that built in code. Um, and that's sad because, uh, you know, I don't like to use the sheep and sheepdog analogy, but it's a damn good one. It is. And it, and it, and it drives home the point. And the only reason I think I don't like it is it's really been made a lot down here in America in the movies with my old unit. Uh, when in fact, it's it's just a theory of describing, you know, people that kind of just bop around and do their thing. And then those of us that are on the watch. And uh, it does get a little frustrating uh, when in fact people, A, don't even believe that exists or believe that somehow the sheep can just go about their merry way in this planet without the sheep dogs and, um, and the protectors and, and that's dangerous thinking. 
And it's dangerous thinking when you see evil uh, for, you know, a group to not do something about it, which is what we're talking about right now, and or even one person. And even if that one person does something about it, to be judged then as some kind of negative, which is which is happening a lot. You know, I just watched in New York City, a guy in a wheelchair got beat up. I saw that. And what was, what was interesting was he got beat up. It was filmed. I only saw it on CCTV. But what I bet most people didn't see, which was the person standing behind him, not even involved, while he was on the ground, obviously the guy couldn't use his legs, took his backpack off of his wheelchair and took off. Jesus Christ. you had assault and then you had theft. Like, I'm sorry. I'm I'm not rich. I'm a regular American. I raise a family. There's nowhere in any of my constitution growing up that I would think to myself, you know, this guy's knocked down off of his wheelchair. I think I'm going to take his bag and see what's in it. Like, like where does that come from? In my world, honestly, like me getting a little evil, well, what I wish and is do, I wish do, do I we could know what they right now on top of that situation and find that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any of them. And I'd be like, here's the deal, dude. Like, you're not only not going to do this again, but you're going to be so fucking scared shitless of good people because you've earned it. That you're actually going to think, maybe I'm going to give up my shitbag ways and start becoming a good, productive citizen. And, you know. Do we do we even know what that argument was about? Like, why were they beating on him? What, what opinion did this man in a wheelchair have that upset them so much? Well, I mean, in the end of the day, you know, this is a true, this is a truism. It's just true, depending, doesn't even matter what religion you believe or you don't. You just go back over recorded history, right? Evil will rise if there's nobody good to stand there and do anything. It's oh, just fuck. a simple principle, people. Don't overinflate, you know, here in America, our sports figures and this, that, and another thing. Listen, I'm talking about daily life. Like, if there's not going to be deterrence, right, which most of us think is police and such, then evil will rise in your area, right? And then if it's not the police because you don't have the numbers, it's the people it will rise. This is not some widespread Nostradamus conspiracy theory or Aristotle back in Greece thing. This is just human existence. And no different, right? Like, I'm a human. Your podcast, talk about recovery, different things, veterans. Uh, listen, I've had my spats being evil, right? You're going to get the best of me if I don't drink and take painkillers, right? If I take those things... I tend to get to be a way more evil person than what my natural constitution is. So I choose not to do those things for myself and for the betterment of society. It's not hard, meaning it's not hard to choose kind of what side of that aisle you want to be on. Well, it's understanding that you are a different person. Um, It was actually a trip on magic mushrooms that showed me the way. And they showed me, (laughs) it's true. Um, And they showed me what... um, alcohol actually is and what the mushrooms told me is that it's a trick it makes you feel like you're having a good time in the moment and you are you know hey trust me i i i still wish to god i've been sober for a year and a half and i wish to god i could have myself a nice scotch on ice like oh yes please but i won't and because i know it's a trick because yeah it's a it's enjoyable in the moment but it's a low frequency thing and it lowers your frequency it lowers your vibration 
And I know this might sound woo-woo to some people, but fuck, just listen. It's true, okay? <laughs> the mushroom said so. <laughs> but it it uh, it lowers your fre- your your frequency, your vibration, and when that happens, you are attracting into your life all the other low frequency, low vibration shit. And uh, isn't that the truth? You know, think about every cringe-worthy moment in your life. <laughs> There's probably a couple of drinks in you. Everything yeah. that we're like, ooh, shouldn't have done that or shouldn't have said that, probably had a couple of drinks in you. And, and, and that's how it works. And that downhill spiral, um, <laughs> at the bottom of it, some people stay there. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, I, it's, um, you know, like I said, it's by the grace of God, or as I like to say, higher power down here, you know, um, not a super religious guy. I was raised Catholic, um, but I'm a big believer. You know, I, I could spend, you know, hours talking to your audience about why I should not be here today, not because of combat or anything like that, but just by my own doing, but I'm here. And so I, I try to use it right for good. And that's very important to me. And one of those first things is making sure that I'm not attracting those low vibrating (laughs) events or people. Um, but it it would seem, you know, not to get too philosophical, you know, philosophical, but it would seem there's a lot of low vibration going on worldwide right now. And I think that's frustrating when you're tuned, um, to the other side of it. And, um, you know, at the same time, I'm a big guy about, uh, communication and, and talk and uh, exhaust all resources because I'm sure like you, I understand that if things go high order, I understand who wins and, um, and it's dirty and it's ugly, but I know that I'm on the winning side if we go there and there's a lot of reasons I am, uh, but that's not always the best way to handle things. Um, as I say in war, it's the most atrocious, terrible thing that's ever been there. But once again, just like evil out there, uh, one thing you can count on man to do is get in some major fights about every 10 years, at least in modern society and, you know, trying to impart will and things like that. And there are definitely justified times, no doubt about it. Just like it's justified to step in. If somebody's sexually harassing somebody in your purview or somebody's assaulting somebody, you know, you are absolutely justified. It's just, can you make that decision? Can you make that switch? Um, I would say more more than justified. I'd say you're obligated. Yeah, that's a better word. Yeah. You can't live with your, I always like to say, you can't live with yourself if you don't. Yeah. You know, and even if it causes jail time or something, you'll deal with that after the fact. Uh, But I do believe in, you know, trying to communicate it out and figure it out. I I do a radio station uh, Monday through Friday, one hour show. And a guy brought up an interesting proposition down here. He said, yeah, but what happens commander if, you know, we spend a decade and no ideas move on either side. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, you know what comes next. And that's that's what I fear is that uh, people are not, they're so entrenched and really in kind of this new order, new things, you know, anti-chivalry, anti-doing the right thing that, you know, we get to that point. Anti-self-defense. And I'm, I'm willing to compromise on things, uh, you know, down here, right? The democracy ultimately works well if, if we're compromising. Uh, but we can't compromise on the values in the sense, like, with America. We can't compromise on our Constitution. Um, well, people don't no remember to. why you have a Constitution. Um, I right. wish to God Canada doesn't uh, had one, but we don't. We have a Bill of Rights. 
and it doesn't have the same power as a constitution. You had said earlier that there are certain maxims. There are some things that just don't fucking change. One of those things is that where power can expand, it will expand. That has always been the way. It is will always be the way. And that's what yeah. the founding fathers of the U.S. understood. People came to the U.S. and Canada to escape tyranny, they, to escape dictatorships. I mean, think about the rickety boats and the long trip yeah. and the scurvy. They, it was worth it for them. Frickin' worth it. It was worth the scurvy. It was worth the risk. It was worth going to some foreign rock on the other side of the pond. You don't know anybody, and you've got nothing but the clothes on your back. It was worth it to escape tyranny. And people just can't think like that. They, They don't understand. And then to protect themselves, okay, now we've escaped the tyranny. Uh, how do we make sure it doesn't rise up here? Because that fucking sucked. We just crossed the pond. We got to we got to protect ourselves. You know, we don't want any more of that crap. And uh, that's why the founding fathers, in their wisdom, um, created the Constitution and the Bill of Rights in the United States. And the idiots, and I, I usually don't use words like that. I don't call people idiots, but they're fucking morons who say things like it's an old document. It's out of date. No. Human nature has not changed. That document is not not out of date because we haven't changed. We have not evolved at all. It is still the same. Where power can expand, it will expand, which is why in the beginning of two years ago, when they said two weeks to flatten the curve, I looked at my wife and I said, honey, it ain't going to be two weeks. This is going to go on for as long as they can possibly keep it going on. I said that day one. And she says, I hope you're wrong. I said, I hope I'm wrong too, honey. But where power can expand, it will expand and it will never go back to its original size. That's not how greed works. And the greatest greed of all is the greed of power. And here we are. Unfortunately, I was correct. And now there's people that, well, it's because of this, it's because of that. No, it's because where power can expand, it will expand, and it did expand. And it ain't going back until people say no more. It just won't. Right. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Um, I do down here on my show. It's a key part of it of that, you know, the true defenders of your freedom is you. That's right. <laughs> not not anybody else. That's it. That is but how it was written. That is what works. Um, and like you. Uh, probably the only thing is is because of the tools now today that um, really do mirror psycholo- uh, psychological operations, military style slash intelligence operations that change minds. Uh, that power, if you will, has been turned in on the populations of several Western countries, and um, and people just aren't getting it. Um, people are still very much in the sheep mode. Um, to a degree, there's a lot of uh, power inflation. Like in America, I mean, we're we're dealing with a full-on uh, left assault currently um, because they control most of the power positions. And you know, it's going depending on your city. My city just voted all left as well, so you know, it's just coming down here all the way from the top. Now, other what? places push back politically, but it's not so much a political to me argument. As it is what you said, it's a human nature argument. 
And either way, you know, you have to watch out for that. Um, and I do think it's been hyperdrive because of all this technology and stuff. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out um, because oftentimes, you know, if we're not going to reel back in some sanity, whether it be for your own recovery, you know, because I, I like to take a lot of my own lessons at the individual level and kind of try to look a little bit broad and see where some of those simple solutions may work. Um you're going to have conflict and and that's a sad thing to predict, but you know, your prediction is absolutely right. Um, it's not hard for people that have been around those dynamics to kind of see that. And, you know, at this point, I don't even care what iteration we're on. Um, at least, you know, locally, you know, we are now pawns where I live in a political game of tit tat tit for tat on this issue. Um, but meanwhile, you know, the bigger issues, of society and people trying to be better. Uh, we just, we're creating an environment where, uh, essentially being a nothing, being a non committal, non whatever, uh, maybe even leaning towards that evil. I just take what I want. I just do what I want. I don't care for my fellow man. Um, that's, that's not, (laughs) that hasn't been good in world history. Um, so I hope no matter what the warriors, if you will, and the, the second and third order effects of being a warrior, meaning mostly your psychological state and, and the things that we have to deal with because we take on a bigger responsibility every day. Um, and then our families definitely take that on. Um, I hope they keep, you know, find ways to keep it balanced, um, and work through it because, uh, you should not be ashamed to be a warrior. You should not be ashamed uh, to be somebody that intercedes in evil, and uh, but it's a battle, and you do you, there's a cost to it. Um, but uh, we, the the earth humans will always need those people. November 11th this year in the states, it's Veterans Day. In Canada, it's Remembrance Day. Um, this one was an extra tough one for a lot of us because what is that uh, word starts with an F? Not fuck. Uh, that we're supposed to be fighting for. I think they call it freedoms. And the fact that so many people gave it up so easily where I've bled, you've bled, and we have dead friends. It's different Mm -hmm. than somebody you've never met. Oh, my great-grandpa that I never met died in World War II. No, um, our friends died. And we were told that we sacrificed, we went through the pain and the, the sleeplessness and, and, and the grind, and we pushed ourselves and sacrificed our mental health, our livelihood, our, and, and put ourselves in harm's way for the purpose of freedoms. So we sacrificed our safety for the freedoms of others and did so willingly. And now everybody wants to sacrifice their freedoms for their safety. This uh, Remembrance Day was tough for me. How was it? Uh, was there a similar sort of feeling uh, for yourself and within the veteran community that you're connected to? You know, I think we probably predated that a little bit with kind of uh, the Afghanistan stuff a little bit. Um, I think that was off air. You know, um, I think that that when Afghanistan, you know, as the weeks kind of went on and everybody kind of watched it 
And of course, it's natural if you're out to to be calling people, get some inside scoop to a degree. I mean, most of us have been there, done that. So it's not like we want the nitty gritty. But I but I think there were things, at least on the American side, um, that were egregious that we thought would never ever be associated with America. I think a lot of people in the special operations community um, and the intelligence community. I mean, we we really wanted quickly to know about the drone strike because we knew given the timing that the odds of that drone strike actually being effective um, were pretty small. And the fact that in America we were touting over the rising capability in replacement of uh, people, even, you know, small numbers was a failure and is a failure. And so we just, we were waiting to see that kind of come out and it did and we were right. But of course, it wasn't covered much down here, and so I think there was just a lot of, uh, yeah, what the fuck? Like, what what did we all do? What you know? What, this you know, Johnny, Timmy, whatever. And so I think there was kind of that lull in depression. I do think by the time we got to Veterans Day, Remembrance Day, you know, down here a lot of fanfare, and I'm not saying it's fake. It's you know the praise and how tens want to celebrate. That's awesome. Um, but I think for the first time, maybe in a long time, you know, some vets felt obligated to be part of those things when they really didn't want to be because they're upset. But at the same time, there was also like, wow, like we've got a real enemy. And I don't think a lot of guys want to say this. Like, I'll say it. I've got a real enemy here in America. Like most of my life, I felt like I had enough freedom and power, if you will, to export America, to go help if need be. Um, you know, certainly not without mistakes, okay? We, we make a lot of mistakes as a country, but I think the net uh, could be a positive for the world. And I think for the first time after Afghanistan leading to Veterans Day, I think it's probably the first time in 50, 60 years that maybe American vets were like, I've got an enemy and that enemy's right inside my wire. The now great, it's like, the, God, the, how do I, the greatness, how do I deal with that? The greatness of America is the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Right. Everything was yeah, built on under, that. Without yeah, that, it's under with, full assault. Without those freedoms that were created, um, or not created, we're born with these freedoms. But mm-hmm. um, the only threat to freedoms is government. It has always been and it always will be. Yeah. So yeah. what people don't realize is the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights is a firewall to, to yeah. restrain the government. Why do they need to be restrained? Because they always go bananas if you let them. You, yeah. ha- you, you have to keep the chains on them. Um, yeah. if, you, if you unchain the government, they go tyrannical every time, without exception. That's human history. That's just how it is. Yeah. So any attack I, on, on those the, chains is The thing is, is, is I want to finish good. and say, I think there was a, a kind of come to Jesus about it, and but mm. still what to do. Um, so it was... This is an interesting day. I mean, I had some people on, you know, talking all week really about what they're doing now, you know, trying to spread the goodness. Um, But I do think that, um, you know, it's gut punch, you know, and we know what gut punches are like. We've dealt with them. Uh, This, this will play out longer, uh, I think. Um, And people are figuring ways to mobilize or kind of twist that narrative back to um, what we believe and who we are. And that's not just America. I think that's anybody that, you know, has served their country and, and has a 
a a moral standard from which to understand and go do things. But, you know, we're still fractured. We're not out of the fight, so to speak. But um, it's a wake-up call. And, again, I mean, because we're also dealing with, you know, I mean, the military has come out, you know, the senior leaders here with the vaccine and different things. I mean, they've all but at least senior military leaders have joined in on this charade. And, uh, wow. I, I mean, I it, it blows my mind, to be honest with you. I mean, most of it I can't even watch anymore. I just kind of hear it and go, ooh. Um, so I, I think it's it was more of a sombering day <laughs> than, than um, anything else. One of the things that is always drummed into us and that we always thought was true and I think uh, you hear it most famously within the Marine Corps, but um, is that we don't leave anybody behind. Yeah. They, that's just, we don't. Um, if, if we got a, uh, if five die to save one, okay. Yeah, totally worth it. If five die to save one, okay. Not even a question. It's not even a question because it's, because it's the principle. The principle right. is more important than the math. Yeah. So five will happily die to to, to yeah. attempt to save one, even if all six die. It's like okay. Yep. And that's how that's, it that's how it fucking is, and yeah. which is why, and we did leave people behind. Uh, I mean, they they're they're lying in the White House, and they're not even talking about it with the Canadian government. There are people that are left behind. Yeah. Um, there's Canadians, there's Americans, and there's allies who are who are now sentenced to death. Because we didn't get them out. And the last flight has already flown. It's done. So there's children, families. Um, we left, we did leave them behind. And they're going yeah, to die now. Did. Straight up left them behind and they will die. And instead of owning that, they're pretending that it didn't happen. And that, um, that's why I did a bunch of emergency broadcasts on the topic. Yeah. Because the sense, and actually one of the guys I served with just put a uh, a post on here, for the first time in my life started to feel like it was all for nothing, says Rob Lalonde. But Rob, it wasn't all for nothing. Um, while you were there, it did something. You know, for 20 years, it, it, it provided uh, a, a level of stability and access to human rights for 20 years. And... During my service and and my times overseas in Croatia, for six months, I did my bit to keep these people alive. So that's six months is six months, you know, and we kept it stable and we did keep people alive. So just because it didn't stay that way, that's not on us. That's not, that that does not diminish our service in any way. Yeah, Rob, thanks for your service. I'm glad you, you read his post because I'm, I'm looking at it here as well and I wanted to comment on it. Uh, it's a little bit uh, hardcore, but, you know, you're absolutely right, Mark. But the thing, you know, Rob, what I would tell you is, is I agree. We're going to feel like that. I think it's very justified right now. I think it's in mass. Uh, but I would also snap you back into soldier mode and say, you know what? You can feel like that, but you're not going to act like that. You don't get to act like that. None of us do until we're the last man standing and even then, you might think about it because you don't have a swim buddy. You don't have a war buddy to fight this fight with. Um, but then 
you think about it, you say goodbye, and you're going to step up there and you're going to fight to the end. And and that's just the way it's got to be. Uh, but we're certainly taking on some heavies. Um, and I think why? Because um, they're going at the foundation of not only our personal constitutions, but our actual foundations from which everything our societies are built on and has worked well, not perfect, well. And I often say to people, you know, for America, I say, well, look, you know, I'm glad you don't know about all the attempted terrorist attacks. And the end of the day, you know, depending on your unit, depending on what you believe in, you know, SEAL Team targeted basically, you know, the top of the deck of the terrorist networks, you know, whichever one you want to name. Uh, the real goal was to keep an attack from the Western shores, you know, Toronto, Washington, all those. Um, And for the most part, that's been done. That doesn't mean it's going to last, but that was one of the main thrusts was to, as best we could take it there, obviously go kill certain personalities, but we know how that works. I mean, they just pop up with more. And then you bring up a great point, which is all the goodness that was done, meaning, the opportunity for human rights, the opportunity for relationships. I mean, I still have very good friends that I'd have no problem, you know, flying in and landing and living in their little hut and see how they're doing. Um, I'm actually sad I can't do that uh, because I know that they have goals and dreams just like I do. And as I've always said, my travels taught me that, you know, there is no kid born that is evil. If you look in any child's eyes from about three on down, anywhere on this planet, they all have that same glossy-eyed, sponge, want to learn, want to grow, want to be somebody. Um, and to me, they're, they're always worth getting out there and fighting for. Um, and in the in the day, yeah, I mean, we got to stay in the fight. But I, but it's okay. We're, we're going to have these feelings. As a matter of fact, I probably drank and used a lot because I didn't want to accept them, you know, even while I was on active duty with some of the tragedies. Um, and had I talked about it to others, I probably find some better solutions, um, but you know, in that case, it takes what it, it takes. And I, th- I think the way I look at it now, and and it, I might be in rest refit mode till I die, right? But uh, you know, I'm going to pass on the values to the next generation. Um, but you know, you just rest refit. You know, I'm not as strong and wise as I used to, or as tactically smart because I'm out of the game. But I'm a lot wiser. I'm a way better commander today than I ever was because I'm more attuned to things. I'm more attuned to my own failings and I can provide better advice um, both to younger, older and peers. Um, and I think that that's very valuable. Um, and we just, we just have to keep the line. We just have to keep it in order. Right. I mean, the cops have their line, the firemen, uh, we do too. Um, in the end of the day, we got to hold the line and uh, we're just kind of maybe in a very long term, but I'm going to tell you what, if the warrior ethos, the, the chivalry and the understanding right from wrong uh, tips. If people believe, you know, constitution and law and order are things that should just be thrown to the wind. We're, we're in a world of hurt. You know, that's probably going to lead to conflict. It's that simple. What's needed now is strong leadership. Um, What I've been pushing is uh, more of a Gandhi idea, you know, um, passive resistance and, being, just being fucking kind to each other. Just be fucking yeah. nice. You know, don't demonize yeah. each other. Uh, when you and I were talking off air about um, Green Berets and CIA tactics, we know that to topple a country, you uh, to create division, it requires to dehumanize in large groups. That is 
that is 101. And, um, and that's happening right now, whether by, uh, on purpose or by coincidence, it doesn't matter. It's happening. And when people are dehumanizing other groups, um, I've seen posts <laughs> that didn't even have to be taken down where people are like, yeah, you know, anybody that won't get the jab, we should line them up in front of a trance and shoot them. If, if you don't, if you won't get the shot, then you should be shot. And there is a lot of people that don't have a problem with that. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. It's terrifying, but it's also not really surprising. If you understand human nature, because what yeah. they're actually saying is, I'm afraid and there is no price too great to satisfy my fears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fear is a great ally to, to switch people's thinking. Um, you know, I talked about this last week to a friend, I and I believe he may have been Canadian. Uh, Morgan Freeman, an actor, could be wrong there. I don't think Morgan is, no. No. Hmm. Anyway, most people recognize him, right? Uh, got that great voice, but it was like 30 years ago. He's in a thing with uh, Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes, and they're talking about race issues in America, and and and. Mike Wallace said, well, you know, as a black man, and he just shut him down. And he says, see, that's the problem. He goes, I'm a man. He goes, as soon as you stop saying black man, I stop saying white man, and we're just men, and we're just dealing with life. And they were talking about racial division. And, again, down here, back to, uh, you know, government tactics to destabilize nations. You know, America's always been a place where the balance has often been race, and that's tried to be a divide, uh, whether purposely or other, um, and then class system of money. Um, and so, yeah, thanks Rob. He's from Memphis. Yeah. I figured he was a, a Southern American, but I don't know why, who is Den? No, Denzel Washington is not Canadian. I don't know why I've got somebody living on the border there in my head that uh, is down here and you'd think he's American. Deadpool. There you go. I know Deadpool's a He's Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> yeah. We, we we claim that one. But you can have yeah, Justin no, Bieber. I, you can have yeah, Justin so Bieber. Like we'll we'll keep uh, Ryan Reynolds though. He's a keeper. Yeah, no, they whatever. I mean, we all got our our great ones and we got our interesting ones. Um, and you can keep Celine Dion. <laughs> we don't want her back. <laughs> Fair. Isn't she still down in Vegas? Oh yeah. Uh, but anyway, and, and the thing is, is so that is very much in hyperdrive once again here. And I think what scares me the most is your average av- person. And it's interesting you bring up like CIA and the Green Berets, of course, America's mechanism, one of their mechanisms for that is that other countries have this too. So, you know, the Russians um, and the Chinese mainly uh, also can be involved in this stuff, helping fuel it. And, and, they're professionals like we're professionals. You're probably not going to know that you're being fed information from their machine to sway it. And that scares me a lot that Americans don't realize kind of how nations fight and protect their own sovereignty. Um, and that, you know, I have no doubt that there is a lot of influence from people that don't like Western values at this point in time to try to fan that even more um, on top of whatever you think, you know, you've just experienced, you know, in, in your world. Um, We don't have a race problem in America, race um, in America relations, so to speak, or call it, you know, 
immigration slash different colored skin is at an all-time high. Jobs, security, ability to do it. Do we have issues? Well, we always have issues. We have issues with everything. That's called life, people. Um, What you have in America is you have a freedom of choice um, with no guarantee of success, but you do have the freedom to try to go have self-betterment and to live life the way you want for the most part. Well, in Florida you do. But that, but that has raised its ugly head again, and um, you know I suspect we're going to deal with it a little more. Uh, my biggest fear is, you know, the apathy of the American people, not really even given any time to the thoughts you and I have talked about, and you know, double down with foreign influence can really hyperdrive these situations and destabilize a nation pretty quickly. Even one is big is America and, and frankly yours. I mean, you don't have the same population, but you have a lot of landmass and, uh, and you just got to always be on guard. I think, um, go back to, you know, maybe in the end of the day, what's going to be standing in all of this is the warrior class, you know, reinstituting it all. Cause it works. <laughs> no, it does work. Now, um, I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts were on why there's so many leadership gurus that come out of the seals uh you know uh you teach awesome. leadership and also um uh of course jocko you yeah. know uh that extreme ownership and leadership that's a whole yeah. shtick um what is it about the seals in particular that uh, has people doing leadership training well i yeah i mean we've hit the boom um without a doubt i i think you know, I, first of all, Jocko's a friend. We served together at SEAL Team 3 for seven years. So a lot of the stuff they've written about, I'm intimately, essentially cross-peer there. Um, so we all know each other. Um, and obviously their group has done a good job of, uh, I think, condensing the message and understanding marketing in the, in today's world. And I like the fact that, you know, I, and I, let me say this up front. I don't have a problem with it. You get asked this a lot in the community. Are we, are we crossing some unknown line? I don't have a problem with any military person or any person for that matter, uh, taking their experience and trying to teach others um, to help society, human beings, groups, teams improve. I don't have a problem with that at all. I think it's, uh, I think it's a nice way to share your experience. If it crosses over, into I'm the coolest person in the world and it's more self-centered, then I think a lot of us have a problem with it. And so in SEAL Team, we have a little bit of both. You mentioned uh, Jocko and his crew at Echelon Front, all of those guys. Uh, I think they do it uh, right way and and they're a big name and I think their message is simple and people can relate to it. Um, But at the same time, I think the SEAL thing is is, honestly, um, you know this, I know this, Listen, we're we're one small group with a very specialized mission, and we're no better or worse than any of the other units, both in America and globally, that do it. The similar missions, uh, but what we have in America, right, is capitalism and and modern TV and things like that. And I think that this, for whatever reason, even before the Bin Laden thing. Um, it had just caught on. What do you think it and, is about the seals that uh, they get all the press? 
you know, there's, there, there's lots of operator teams, um, yeah. in all three services. So yeah. why, why the Navy, why the SEALs, um, or is it just the way, is it just because of Hollywood that, uh, SEALs get all the press? I, I think that there, I think there's a little of both, right? Number one, we talk about this even when we're on active duty and guys would retire and get out. Um, you have to remember that our major, our major hub is in San Diego, California. It, you know, that is the major hub. Now there's another hub in Virginia beach and it's big too, but you know, the Admiral's headquarters sits in San Diego. Is that, is that Camp Pendleton? No, we're south of that. We're damn near Coronado, San Diego. So San Diego is right on the Tijuana border of Mexico. Right. It's, it's pretty much the southernmost U.S. city, I think, actually. Um, even maybe further south than Florida. Maybe not. But I got some good anyway, story. I got some good San Diego stories. I'll share with you off air. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the deal. Hollywood's only two and a half hours away. So the way housing is in San Diego is if you serving the teams long enough, anybody in the Navy, because it's the Navy's West Coast hub, um, housing tends to go north because of its cost. And then you get to Camp Pendleton, and then the buffer between L.A. and San Diego is Camp Pendleton. And so a lot of Marines live both kind of north San Diego, south L.A. So there's just a lot of interchange. And I think over 50 years uh, post-World War II, you know, when you go back and look at World War II movies made about the Navy, the interaction between Hollywood and Navy chain of command was in San Diego. And so there's a relationship that's gone on a long time. And then as you got into the 80s and 90s, you know, a lot of special operators from SEAL team would be stuntmen. They would be the military liaisons when they retired in Hollywood. And so I think the natural progression of that has led to that a little bit. Um, meaning the ease of flow. The other thing that we did, which is still debated in the teams today, is if you go look at 1980s on, who has the best major motion pictures associated with the military? And it's by far and away the Navy, and it's usually pointed to Top Gun. Consequently, another Top Gun's coming out. Um, and so the Navy has dominated major motion picture sales in our generation down here. And so in this war, at some point we had hired somebody, you know, and I never worked, I never worked at the schoolhouse. Um, I just, I didn't want to teach. I wanted to be in operations and, uh, and, and PR, but we have that, right. We have to recruit. So we hired a big firm and then those guys made some great commercials and then they asked to do a movie. And so we actually sponsored a movie with active duty seals, friends of mine, um, that were in it. it wasn't the greatest movie in the world. It just looked like a training scenario we do. Uh, but my point is, is, you know, as a Navy, as an Admiral, we, we sanctioned that without really thinking of the second and third order effects to the force. And once we went ahead and sanctioned and gave full access to our training bases and putting helmet cams on guys, you know, your average everyday SEAL said, well, shit, if we're going to do that, then I'm going to try to market myself, you know, sure. when I can. Right. And so it's led to this perfect social media, uh, both, you know, people. And I guess in the end of the day, you know, because that, you know, the guys were chosen to be the guys for the Ben Laden op, you know, that just hyper drived it. Um, I would tell you that any military person, you know, from any of the operator classes that wants to share their level of expertise, whether it be weaponry, 
leadership, um, you're not going to miss. You know what I mean? It just happens to be in a capitalistic society. There's something cool going on right now about Navy SEALs. Um, I'm one of them. I don't think we're cool. I think we're just (laughs) another uh, group uh, on the team. And to be honest, it causes me and most of us to catch a lot of shit. Um, but at the same time, I know some pretty shit hot soldiers that have worked with the seals in Afghanistan and, uh, they said, yeah, they're pretty damn good. Well, this is what I'd say is we're, we definitely, and there was a reason way back in the day that they called it seal team instead of unit battalion, whatever is they had wanted it to be more like a team where you weren't forced by rank or this. Of course we have all that, but your whole process for being there was to be a team member and be on a team. And everything you did was for the greater good of the team and the mission. And they just wanted to tweak that paradigm, which of course all that stuff is in regular units too. But right then and there, we set the tempo to have a little different animal. Um, And maybe these days, frankly, a more flexible animal, meaning we get called a lot on missions that are outside of our mission area. So we generally over the last 20 years have been called to do things that we never have done, but we can flex and we can train up and we can go do that job decent for America. And I think that, you know, there is oftentimes a lot of misunderstanding about that, but that does tend to uh, create, you know, a little bit different animal um, and a little bit, you know, maybe loose (laughs) to a degree. And so, you know, you play that forward a couple of years and guys are looking to what do next. And, you know, as long as guys and gals, you know, I know we're, I think we're close to putting some females through. Um, and certainly we have lots of great females in our support network. Cause that's the thing, SEAL team, you know, like all the military, I mean, we're about nine support people to every one operator just to get the operator on the ground. So, you know, they, those are the unsung heroes, but, uh, yeah, it's a fascination and it doesn't seem to be going away, but, uh, I think, you know, like I said, most of us would be kind of stupid to a degree if we didn't. Um, it, it opens doors, so, you know, you still have to prove yourself. But if you're using it in the right way, I think it can be a powerful thing. But make no mistake about it. There's, like you said, all the operators everywhere have that choice and some units. We have a unit here in America I'm very impressed with. Actually, my best mentors from that unit, and I'll say the unit, Um and they haven't broke radio silence too much, and I I, I respect them for that. In uh, Canada, our tier one unit is JTF two, and they can't tell you that they're in JTF two. Right. Like like uh, they say, oh, I'm special forces, and they have to leave right. it at that. Uh, but our special forces is CSOR, Canadian Special Operations uh, Regiment, and um, but their CSOR is tier two, JTF is tier one. Uh, most people, uh, and you can correct me, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but it's my understanding that most of the teams, um, uh, the SEALs are a Tier 2 unit uh, typically, except for SEAL Team 6, which is considered Tier 1. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, that's accurate to a degree. Um, I would also say we go through levels of tiers. Um, when you, If you just look at the block chart, so to speak, um, you know, Tier 1, um, and we like to say that it, it's – basically on focus mission and then also uh, funding for that. Mm. Um, Certainly there's some extra training. Um, Your SEAL teams go through tier three to tier two, and that has to do with how America breaks down in extremist forces. 
um, on our global map of AORs, area of responsibility. So regular teams, the the other number of teams, um, depending on their location and what that mission is, will bump between three and two. So America always has, and this is what's fascinating on the American side about leave no man behind, is that we actually have a global architecture of six-hour response times anywhere in that theater uh, between between U.S. Special Operations Command. And it's normally split with SEAL Team and Green Beret units. Okay, and then we have Tier 1, right, which is a global response. Um, and I won't give out their time windows. But the point is, it's safe to say that America can put boots on the ground anywhere inside of 12 hours in any crisis, you know, that's not too overwhelming. Hostage rescue, embassy, anything. Secure airfields if need be and, and bring in more reinforcements. And so your regular SEAL teams will kind of have a large group by doctrine of skill sets. And then depending on their lot for their rotation, what tier they'll bounce to. And then in this conflict, believe it or not, uh, forces were running out of people at all levels. And so a lot of us benefited, I think, from that to bounce kind of up and down the tiers, if that makes sense, in a support element, but not necessarily as a as a tag-carrying operator. It benefits SEAL Team from our perspective, because our tier one unit is all in-house. So it's generally speaking kind of a pyramid up. Um, And so we like to expose our younger operators up and down that so they can make a decision in their careers of if they kind of want that lifestyle or not, because it's a little bit different, right? I mean, there's more training, there's more on call. um, And, Certainly now there's more fame, um, and I'm not necessarily sure positive. But, uh, yeah, America has a decent, good architecture, and that's where we fit in. And I always like to say we uh, we kind of cover everything until we're told as a regular SEAL team, you know, what the specific mission is. And then we might bump up to Tier 2 for a while, um, where the Tier 1 forces, I mean, they're built for a very specific mission set. Now, is it the higher the training, the deeper you insert? Like how I typically explain it, say to my boys, is um, when you're an operator, um, the, the higher the tier, the, um, the the higher the training, it just means the smaller the unit, it has to be smaller because you're going in deeper behind uh, enemy lines. Um, is, is, can it be boiled down like that from your perspective? Is that the higher trained you are, the deeper you go behind lines? I wouldn't say that. Um, now, you, you've got to – maybe if we went back 20 years prior to this conflict, um, that might be possible um, to define it by that. But I would define it in the last 20 years as a focus of mission, right? Like what is a no-fail for your unit, right? So you are absolutely right. Smaller, more money more assets, right, meaning like all the satellite assets, all the intelligence assets that feed your information to get on the X, right, in the top tier, right, is is heavy, 
right? I mean, we call it the Death Star down here, right? Because you're going to get all of America if you want. And oftentimes, missions that will, if, if, if they go wrong, will have national impact between leaders. And uh, that may be hostage rescue. Most nations, for their own people, and I will say high-value assets, traditionally, if Canada had a Canadian citizen or high-value person c- captured, would want your JTF2 or CSOR to do that. It makes sense, but not logistically. Sometimes that's not possible. So you might go to a a friend like America. Of course, if we botch that, that would be some embarrassment for us. You failed mission, um, and so oftentimes that's what you're looking at um, in that small set. You know, we we could really right now without talking crazy stuff, we could say counterterrorism or hunting a terrorist, hostage rescue, and then we could also probably say proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Okay? Eat and breathe those three things all the time. If need to be enacted, you know, every you got everything, right? Regular SEAL team, that'll be one of seven that they're good at, not great at, you know, depending. Now, if they get slated for similar sets, they'll blew up and get better, uh, but they will never have the front-end resources, right? So an example would be I, I'm happy in my experience in the wars taking targets with no predators or no, you know, imagery and stuff, you know, as a backup to me. Um, that might not be the case if, you know, you're on those units because you have to have everything right. There's more at stake. You know, if I botch my raid, it, you know, don't hit the target. It went bad. Everybody's safe. Good deal. Right. The impacts, if that were to happen on one of their missions might be far broader than that. Um, and nonetheless, I mean, at least in SEAL team, a lot of our operators, not all, but there's crossover guys go up, guys come back down. Uh, we kind of like keeping the force uh, rotating. Um, but in the end of the day, make no mistake about it. I mean, that's the extra training. That's the 24-7, always good on the gun, ready to go. You know, their alert cycles are different. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they're they not built necessarily to embed through the embassies and help a foreign force build itself up. Does that make sense? Yep, I think so. I think that's well well described. We're at a just over an hour, Jack. How are you doing for time? Do you need to pop smoke? I've got about ten minutes. All right, all right. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Great and... question, though. I gotta love. I, I love only only somebody with some experience could ask those questions because, uh, <laughs> and it's always fun to navigate. So I'm gonna when when this airs, I'm gonna get some call from guys in. Uh, in damn neck and I'm going to get some calls from Virginia beach and Coronado catch him shit big brothers. Right. I mean, one brother shoots the three pointer really, really well. And you know, the other brother bruises in and gets rebounds or what, what is it in hockey? One guy's, you know, Gretzky and he can score all the time, but he's not the guy that is going to come off the line and start the fight. You know? <laughs> oh, he never got in a fight that I know that uh... <laughs> nobody had plenty of guys that could. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. Uh, I'm going to uh, hit you with a trivia question. You know, uh, are, are you a war movie guy? A lot of us can't watch them. 
Are you, do, do you know your war movies? It depends. I mean, I, I've watched a lot over the years um, leading up to. I, I would say I'm be, I I watched more than probably most of our peers. All right. Have At you this ever, point, have if you, it's somebody I know, I love to watch it because I want to critique whether it's realistic or not. And oftentimes within the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Here's an oldie but a goodie. And if you haven't seen it, fuck, man, you have to see it. And then we'll get you back on the show so I can rib you about it. Um, have you ever seen The Devil's Brigade? I knew you were going to say The Devil's Brigade. Yes, of course. Okay. It is a it is a cult classic for SEAL Team. All right. So one point and then one question. One point. Uh, now, everybody's favorite part of that scene is the unarmed combat scene in the mess hall. Are, are you with me? <laughs> yes. The guy who uh, uh, put that on and, and did the unarmed combat... If you look at his shoulder uh, patch, that's my regiment. No shit. That's my regiment. Yeah. He was a Patricia. That's cool. So don't fuck around. We're Patricia's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Seesaw uh, still has the, um, the, the patch, the Devil's Brigade okay. patch. Now, what I've been, un- I thought, because they're wearing a green beret, that the evolution of the Devil's Brigade on the American side, the first special service force, that they turned into green berets, but I don't think that's right. Uh, what did the Devil's Brigade turn into? What's the first special service force in the, in the States? You don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I'm going to take a guess. All right. Um I think somebody told me it was the 103rd, but I don't know. I was going to say 101st, but then I was like, no. You know what? I'm going to have to look it up. Do you know? I don't know. No. I I, I wrongly told my boys it was the Green Braves because it made sense, right? Right. Uh, They're wearing the green hats because of us. But uh, there's so many Americans that do not know that movie. And they're like, wait a second. Canada has kick-ass soldiers, and they trained our first special service force. Yeah, in World War II, we were known as the best, yeah. and uh, World War One and Two actually. And, and and if you don't believe me, ask a Nazi. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I mean, obviously, I'm an American serviceman. I come from a family of it. But you know, the reality is, is America's really only been in the ass-kicking business since World War Two. And then I could say we probably. I mean, we have obviously historically, but then. You know, what America does is it essentially forgets it all, and everybody else kind of goes about it. And the dirty little truth is almost everything, and this includes U.S. Special Operations today, who's, you know, looked at as, ooh, listen, we stole everything from the Brits, we stole everything from the Canadians, we just threw more money at it, and we got more people that we can sign up to do it. That's it. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, and then, listen, we all had our egos, but once we got over the war... (laughs) I mean, it didn't matter if it was the Poles, the British, the Canadians, every, everybody that puts in the time and the energy to create special operations units and special mission units in, in the Western world is damn good at it. Now, uh, I, can't, so I can't really speak to foreign adversaries because we didn't see a lot of them. What I can say is late in, the, in my career and some of the last stuff that I work was uh, kind of we'll call it the approach from northern Syria, um, kind of – ISIS from the south, ISIS from the north. But people often forget the Russians got involved in that. And that was the first time that... Just uh, got to watch Rambo 3. Yeah, that was the first time we really had to start kind of paying attention. And and they used mostly their intelligence 
and air power. Uh, but certainly they had advisors on the ground and, you know, and those advisors would be the same as our seals or green berets more than likely. Um, and, you know, in the end of the day, it, it's kind of an attitude. Uh, the hardware and the stuff is nice. Uh, but in the end of the day, all America's done is stole best practices everywhere. I'm kind of proud of that. Um, and, <laughs> and I hope we continue to, uh, because everybody's got their niche. Uh, Jesus, if you put me right now, I mean, I thought I was pretty good in cold cold weather until right I spent you know what 10 years in the desert and you know depending in Afghanistan maybe high mountains bro you bring me up to your place up there and put me through I, I'd be I'd be like help help <laughs> you, you know uh, so it, it's, it's just interesting right I mean there's two places I always say I'm so happy I didn't have to fight in and that was the the rot jungle um, like mm. southeast I did some time in Central and South America but you know, I've, I have been in places in Asia and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how anybody from the West world could hope to really fight here effectively. And then the other would be, uh, mountains and snow. Yeah. Those are two art forms of warfare that quite frankly, the people that grow up and live there have a huge advantage. And, you know, that's a big reason why America got its ass kicked in Vietnam besides the fact of policy, uh, that that's a generational thing that you have to learn. And, you know, we don't know shit about it anymore. Um, and, you know, now that we're coming out of, you know, certainly Afghanistan and the mountains, there, there was cold, but you know what I mean? I can go look at operations in early Afghanistan and just by essentially terrain and weather, look at how dumb we were, you know, to think that, Oh, you know, I'm going to be good at 13,000 feet. <laughs> not, yeah, not so not, much. Not so much. It's like, hey, why can't I see a... my optic? My vision is fading. Out. Why, why am I having trouble breathing? Right, right. <laughs> Where's my air? Yeah. Who took the air? What the fuck? Yeah, is going on. Well, brother, we're. Uh, I'm gonna look that up. That's a cool one. You know, and it's interesting too. I want to know here. Even young guys don't. I mean, most of our units really. Uh, just the quick U.S. history lesson that I'm aware of, uh, minus your little twist, is really. Um, our Green Berets and SEAL teams really were birthed out of the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, which during World War II was formed up, and three entities came out of that. Um, they had the intelligence wing, they had the ground operator wing, and they had the maritime operator wing. In the Navy, it was easy to go to what we called UDT, Underwater Demolition Team, and those guys were cherry-picked for that unit, a spy unit. When the war was over, uh, Dulles, Dulles was the founder. So it was it was started with the Skull and Bones East Coast rich guys. I hate to say it, but it was. It's true. Um, what'd they do? Well, they created the CIA. That replaced the OSS. The Green Berets in the Army started farming guys that had been part of that post-World War II. And then, you know, my little unit had a few maritime dudes left over. And uh, there you go. And... That was the birth, really, of, of modern U.S. special operations. It really comes from the OSS, and so it created really a three-headed monster, you know, the CIA, the Green Berets under the Army, and then uh, SEAL Team. SEAL Team didn't ca- didn't come around until the 60s, but the precursors under UDT were already there doing it. And, uh, and believe it or not, there was a big fight back then. Um, the Army wanted control of all of that um, underneath, essentially, the Green Berets. And special operations. Um, but in the end of the day, America decided to go with a civilian agency and uh, take the power, if you will, from the army. And uh, here we sit today. And then we kind of, we grew up under that a little bit. And and uh, we still all work together. 
And uh, it's an interesting deal. But uh, of the subunits, you've given me a good one. <laughs> okay, last question, and then uh, I'll let you pop smoke. Cool. Hoorah and oorah. Who uses what and where the hell did that come from? Uh, hoorah. I won't know where it comes from, but that is from the United States Army. Okay, that's Army. And oorah is the Marine Corps. Okay. All right. I won't screw that one up. <laughs> well, that's at least what I think. I could be all fucked up, too, because all I'm fucked a frog up. man, so we have our hoo-yah. Um, oh, oh, I really, see, never, I really got me I really there. I really never heard that. it ever again after, like, my first five years. But um, Hoo-yah. See, I, I would, yeah, I would feel really bad if I have oorah wrong for the Marine Corps. <laughs> I think it's right, but I don't know. <laughs> it all By sound- the way, I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm going to tell you this, how silly my unit is. Uh I'm very proud of my unit. Love it. Uh, yes, Hollywood, it's there. It is what it is. I have not seen a better unit, um, we'll call it 30,000 strong, than the United States Marine Corps. Um, that unit, for as long as I'm on this planet, I'm going to tell you professional soldiers, doesn't matter rank, doesn't matter uh, switch out of company or platoon. When you need Marines, to do something or they say they can help you, they're not full of shit. They will get done everything they tell you they can get done. They won't oversell. They, they won't. It's just, it's a fucking beautiful thing. Um, and I'm so proud that for the most part, I worked inside of Marine battle spaces. Um, and that says nothing against the United States Army um, at all. It's a bigger organization. It relies on reservists a lot. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to a war fighting force that I'm calling when the shit hits the fan, I'm calling the United States Marine Corps. For the most part, I already know that all soft units, they're going to show up. They're going to talk a lot of shit, doesn't matter what country <laughs> they're from. Um, and they're going to get done what they say they can get done. It's just they might not explain it in a way you understand, and they sure as fuck won't do it in the way you think they're going to do it. But it'll get done. It'll get done. <laughs> all right, brother. Uh, we All didn't right, even, we you. we didn't even talk about mental health on this one. We're gonna well, have to let's, let's we'll, do it again. We'll do it again. I, I'm game if you are, and I'm gonna do a little history on Devil's Brigade. Fuck yeah! All right, stay on the line, brother. All right, you're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and Navy SEALs. <laughs> Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring